Welcome back to Real Talk, everyone. I'm KC. I'm here with Saida and Danielle. And boy, are we excited to have this conversation today. Yep. Saida, what are we talking about? We're talking about books, community spaces, flowers, all the lovely things about the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in the, I've been thinking about, we're talking about community spaces today. Um, and we have two beloved uh, community members presenting their two beloved community spaces joining us today. But I was thinking about, you know, through my life, the kinds of community spaces that I've been in and or the places where there weren't community spaces um, at different points. And it looks different like when you're a kid and when you're in school and then as you get older. But what does that look like for y'all? Like what kinds of spaces did you gather in when you were a young person, when you're the old person you are now? (laughs) (laughs) From the 1900s. Yeah, (laughs) we're all born in the 1900s. Oh my goodness, my son keeps saying it. He's like, you were born in the 1900s. Yes, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy here because we all. I did a lot of like after school things. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So my schools usually doubled as community space, especially like I remember the only reason me getting a cell phone was seventh grade. I was doing like creative writing after school. I didn't know where I was. And so there was that high school High school was um, the Peabody Museum because oh. I was a part of Evolutions, which is an after school program, which apparently recently came back. So, hey. Okay. And or never left from what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> my, my guy left. Um, so 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 the creator left. But um, yeah, that was probably my first introduction to a community space. And like we would help out for the MLK Day. He introduced us to a lot of different experiences that black and brown kids didn't have as a white man. So I thought that was amazing. I always say that Jamie Alonzo is my first father, my white father. And so, yeah, I think that. And then my first college was was the school because it was highly funded. So I think a lot of it was school. I've always been a library person. Libraries, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm from New York, so one of the things me and my grandmother used to do, oh, my gosh, it's such a heartwarming memory you unlocked. I always had projects and being born in the 1900s, I didn't have a computer at first. So I'd have to go to a physical library Mm -hmm. and scan the pictures Mm -hmm. and I would cut them to put them in my paper that I had typed up on a typewriter. That's what I'm talking about. Um, But my grandmother loved to take me to a different library. So we did the libraries in Harlem. Oh, let's go to Brooklyn and see what they have. Go to like the Bronx and Fordham Road and see that library. So whenever I had a research project, she would be excited because we would just go to these different libraries and look at, you know, the encyclopedias and whatnot. But I was always a library person. I like the smell of books. The libraries in New York are beautiful and they're old. So they smell like old books, marble, everything, windows. It's so like, think of Belle from Beauty and the Beast. It was my thing. Like, you want to impress me? Show me a room full of books. I actually imagine you on the ladder. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. It is my dream. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, very much the same school. I, I just think about how, like, all the other places, too. Like, when you're a teenager, then you're in, like, parking lots and alleys and, like, places <laughs> maybe we shouldn't be. I'm serious. Yeah, yeah I, I was thinking that, too. But I, my mom didn't let me do a lot of things. Me either. That I was in. I always commuted, so too. even when everyone went to the mall, she was like, no. Or, no. Right, like, or I'm the thankful mall. for right. I used to think like she was a terrible person, but <laughs> when I got older, I was like, okay, oh, it was I, get it. I get it. Better me being in the house of reading. So I read myself. So a lot of, I did eventually end up in the Hamden library, but most of my library was myself because my mom had a black book subscription and she ain't never read the books. So <laughs> I did. Mm. So I read actually a lot, probably some things I probably shouldn't have, but whatever. Okay. Mm -hmm. We all had like as a very young person. Yeah. yeah. We had that moment. Yeah. You remember? I, I know exactly which author we're talking about. I read 72 Hour Hold, which was by B.B. Moore Campbell, which is actually funny because it came to full circle because now I'm like, oh, that's who created Black Mental Health Month. And I didn't know that, you know, so that's something I celebrate. And I was like, oh, and that story is about a celebrity that I you know, used to, to to watch on television and had no idea. So it comes full circle, a lot of the things that I read as a child, which were actually more adult and not even just adult content rated R, but just like adult conversations, yeah. adult concepts um, and not explicit, but just like responsibility and life. Yep. And, mm. and so I think maybe that's why I'm so mature. <laughs> you know? Well, in thinking about this, this episode today, I mean, as human beings, we have a need for community. We have a need to gather. And especially in this moment right now, we have a need to gather, I think, in physical space together. Yeah. I think that's super important. I mean, people talk about a loneliness epidemic and how damaging it is to people's physical, mental health. Yeah. Um, and then just how few sort of public gathering spaces there really are that are available to people. Um, so, Danielle, would you? We need to fold our our two guests into this mix here. Fold them in, okay. So we have Alicia Crutchfield McLean, and she is the owner and curator of Bloom in downtown New Haven. They're actually not that far from each other, mm -mm. actually. So, so Aaron, just walk down the street, neighbor. hop, skip, and a jump. And Bloom is just a really great, great community space. You can buy things, you can sit and reflect, you can study, you can hold events. Um, and then there is a Lauren Anderson from Possible Futures, which is a really amazing independent bookstore that I frequent a lot. And, you know, there have been a lot of book clubs there. There are a lot of gatherings and events. Like these are just places that I incredibly value right now because I did not have anything like that, especially being led by people that are women, being led by a person of color, being just like an ally. Like I had never seen any places like this where I can go into a bookstore and so many of the books look like me or about mm -hmm. topics that are about revolution and things that I was talking about as like a little baby. And people was like, what you talking about? <laughs> so it was just amazing for me to even stumble upon these places and I think everyone in everywhere in the world needs to go to them. <laughs> uh, but these are our guests, guys. These are amazing, wonderful, uh, awesomest in the world guests. <laughs> hey, so welcome. Here. Thank you. I wonder. That was a lovely introduction, darling. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia, can we start with you? Could you describe Bloom for us and the, and the kind of community? Like the, what's the story of, of Bloom? So Bloom is a multi-concept retail gathering space rooted in well-being. 
We feature a gift shop. We feature a flower shop. We feature a cafe. We feature a wellness room. (laughs) And we also feature indoor and outdoor event gathering spaces. And so I'll go back to the well-being part. Everything that I do, all that I curate at Bloom is rooted in well-being. It is so important, as you stated earlier, KC, that we have spaces, physical spaces where people can gather. And like you said, Danielle, where people can be seen, right, Um, and heard and feel good about themselves because there is a lot of ish going on today yes. in this world. And it is it's disappointing. It's it's sad. It's hurtful. Yep. But then on the flip side, we are alive in this world. And so there's joy, there's happiness, you know, there's growth. And it's important for me, in my opinion, to foster unity and create spaces where we are there for each other in times of despair and in times of joy and happiness and helping each other find balance and helping each other deal with the calamities of Mm. this world, but also the, the celebrations in this world. So Bloom is all about that. Everything that I align with from, you know, the team members that I share space with to the small businesses that I share space with. Everything that I do in my space is really about uplifting community. And at the same time, myself, when y'all thrive, I thrive. We all thrive together. I love that. And I have to say, I remember speaking of of growth, I used to live over close to where where Lauren lives, actually. Um, So I used to walk my dog, especially during the pandemic, um, long walks all the time, by the space and seeing what it was before for years and then what it is now. I mean, the transformation. Yeah, I think it was, I mean, it was a really sad looking space before. It really was. (laughs) And, And it has bloomed. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. I put a lot of effort into creating the space um, internally and externally. Mm. So, yeah, (laughs) that's also important. That's great because it's not only just pride in your business, but pride in contributing something beautiful to the community. I was looking at your website and I love the name Bloom. And I'm like, there has to be something about flowers in here. And I think you have a flower (laughs) shop. (laughs) Um, I'm a new plant mom and I really Mm. never knew the therapeutic effects Mm -hmm. of taking care of plants and what you like. It's so satisfying. And I just have a jade, right? Something very hard to kill at the moment. I'm new. They're not that hard to kill. Uh, I'm not trying yeah, to not kill. not that hard to kill, girl. Oh, no. Come on. No, no. <laughs> but I was, well, I was wondering, because your space is called Bloom, what, what mm-hmm. do we associate like plants and life as people to plants? Like, what is your association with foliage, life, growing in spaces? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on it? Oh, I love, first of all, that's a great question. And I love to talk about it. Yeah. So, ah, bloom, foliage, life. To me, the cycle of life, right? Repeating over and over again. And one needed to stay focused on his or her goals, just like how leaves grow, mm-hmm. how they flourish, how they fall and return again to branches. Leaves fall, but tree remains alive to reborn again, right? With its natural, beautiful green leaves, flowers and fruits. 
this unfolds that everyone is special, right? And it's their responsibility to find their core strength, Mm. to focus the strength, that quality and nurture themselves. And so when I think of foliage, bloom and life, it's about just always focusing on who we are, what our strengths are, how we can groom and retain our good qualities, Mm. right? It also teaches us to embrace, adapt, and growing, it will be painful and pull us from the tree stalk and we cannot stand with warmth of summer or cold of winter again. Mm-hmm. Change is inevitable, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And embrace to change and work and life is essential to growth, to be better and better each day. You know, change makes us learn many things. And when we accept change, learn from it, we become experienced, more experienced, and then change is no more an enemy. It becomes our coach. Mm-hmm. So, in a nutshell, I mean, I can go on and on. That's a whole yeah. other podcast. But, <laughs> but you know, if if that just gives you a roundabout gist of you know just how I view flowers, foliage, and life and bloom, that's it. You know, this sort of cycle of of human life. And yes, you are absolutely right. Flowers are so therapeutic. Yeah. And prior to me opening bloom, I had not worked with flowers at all. Like, uh-huh. I mean, of course, I purchased flowers. I purchased flowers for myself and others. I've received them. But the last time I worked with flowers was when I was 13. Mm. My first job, my, I was 12 and a half, actually. My mom was a single parent. I had to hit, I, listen, if I wanted what I wanted and also wanted to support my household, I had to go and work. Yeah. So my first job at 12 and a half was in the flower shop at the gift shop at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, where mm-hmm. I'm from. My first job. And I mean, I loved it. It was cute, but I never thought, you know, as much as I love them, I just, I'm not a florist, right? So for it to come back, like the leaves we just talked about, for it to return, you know, to my life and the way that it has and, you know, the therapeutic qualities and and just what it's done for me in the last two years, what working with flowers in flowers around flowers has done for me is exceptional. Mm. And I'm just so grateful to be in a space where I can serve my community through the love and design and therapy of flowers, among the other things that we offer at Bloom. That's excellent. It is. And I just in, in preparing for this episode, already listening so far, it's just such a different mindset than like, I'm going to be a florist or a book, yes. a book retailer. Yeah. Just how much more both of you all are, are up to. And Lauren, possible futures you describe, I've seen you describe less as a bookstore and more as a book space. And I wonder if you could yeah. tell us about what's, what's, what's the vibe of possible futures? What's the story yeah well first of all thanks so much for having us on and having us on together because i feel like it's always such a joy to i don't know to hear alicia talk about bloom and i think there are so many just synergies between the kinds of things that we care about and the kinds of things that we're trying to accomplish just in community with space we should Um, say right down the street from one another yeah, totally. So we're always I'm always sending people, uh, you know, up Edgewood to to Bloom and ha- happily receiving them as they as they come on down. I think that like the word book space, I don't know if it um I'm sure somebody else has used it at some point, but it seemed like the better word than bookstore to just capture this idea of like a cross between an independent bookstore where you can go to buy books, but also a community reading room where you can go to just exist, just be human in community with people 
around books because I think like a lot of what Alicia was saying about plants, I think books do that for us too. They're these amazing like yeah. carriers of knowledge yep. people created because they had a story to tell or something that they cared enough about to do research on and communicate to others. And there's something about sitting in a room full of books that it feels really therapeutic. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, deeply, deeply therapeutic. And I think that I'm also just a big believer in gathering. I think community is about authentic relationships. And oftentimes I think like stores, just traditionally, you know, the primary kind of interaction that folks are having in stores is often like a capitalist transaction. And that, you know, that's, I'm not going to pretend that's not a part of what happens at Possible Futures because of course people buy books and that helps, you know, keep the lights on, keep the doors open, the rent paid. But that's really not what we envision being the center of like human activity. It's like being together, being in relationship with one another, uh, getting to know people, being in dialogue around like issues of concern, take precedence over the the kind of transactional stuff. And yeah, it's just, it's been a beautiful journey. And I think a lot of it is not necessarily, it, it's about well-being and it's about being well together. And I often say, you know, like, I'm not evangelical about much at all. It's not really my my way of being in the world. But I do really believe in children's books. And I believe in children's for people of all ages. I think most of us did not get as young children the books that we needed for a whole host of different reasons. Some of us more so than others. And I truly believe that it's like never too late to read to your inner child and to like help yourself heal parts of who you are that just weren't nourished when you were a young person mm. and and doing that for yourself and doing that with others for one another is a really deep and powerful shared experience that helps us all just be a better version of ourselves in the present and in our future together. And so, you know, I don't, I don't have like a favorite book or anything, but I am always <laughs> encouraging to come into the space to pick up, especially newer children's books, because there's just been such an explosion in terms of who's getting to write books, what books are getting amplified in the public domain. And so many of those books are books that are really formative or should have been formative, right? For all of us when we were young people wondering about who we are and like why we hurt the way we hurt and why why we didn't feel good about ourselves. And so I think a lot of what happens in the space is people like coming back, coming back to themselves and giving themselves what they need and working to figure out how they can help be part of a process that also gives others what they need. So books and more. <laughs> well, I love this idea of coming home because yeah. so many of my college students now are really alienated from books. Um, yes. Totally. They have never checked something out from the library. Nope. You say the word book, they roll their eyes. They don't want to yep. read it. They want to, they don't mind reading other things like online. Right. Or manga. Right. Well, not even, you know, but there's a lot of that that I see in this moment and to think of it not as a permanent condition, but- you know, what have people experienced? What have they missed out on and, and what's still possible? Yeah. I am. Possible. 
<laughs> I know. I love your website. I love your logo. I loved your explanation of the logo. We're obviously going to give our listeners the website address to take a look at it and read it and explore it because I thought it was so amazing. And to anybody who likes literature, writing or anything, it should resonate. But the biggest thing for me that stood out on your website, because oh y'all oh, know it's coming. Here it I couldn't. And it's like in all caps for my life was LeVar Burton, the full circle <laughs> moment of reading Rainbow. So for those who don't know, I am the biggest LeVar Burton fangirl. I mean that like Star Trek, reading Rainbow, of course, when I had my kids, we watched Reading Rainbow from the first episode and my kids loved it. And I remember distinctly that first episode is about chain reactions. He's in a bowling alley and he goes through what a chain reaction is. And the first book they read is if you give a mouse a cookie. Yeah. So we love LeVar Burton. And what really about people like LeVar Burton and Reading Rainbow and having someone connect books to real life how can we bring that back? How can we connect people to the fun of books, mm. but also giving them the examples of real life things like chain reactions? Why did you include LeVar Burton on your website? <laughs> Why not? I mean, like you, I am a big LeVar Burton fan. Also, talk about a human that has aged well. Okay. We were talking we about that. Like, LeVar Burton is looking good. And I also will say that I think some of that, and I, I feel like this also resonates with, with a lot of what Alicia talks about and focuses on and, and amplifies in our city. It's just like what you feed yourself really matters. And I feel like LeVar Burton is an example of a person who modeled feeding himself and others books. Yes. And like the production of joy. Yep. I mean, you just feel the joy that's like the joy, the health, the well-being that is radiating off of that human. Yep. And I think it's not, it's not like coincidental that that he is known for being like an ambassador of book joy. Yeah, like I just... Right. I think those things are related. I think that his glow is deeply rooted in his connection to the written word and to the people who have like contributed to the written, putting words on the page for other people to enjoy. And I think like both of you just mentioned this sort of idea of like alienation in some ways and like connection to books. And I just, I really do think it's never too late for someone to like build a positive relationship with reading. And I'm, I, I do think like some of the idea of possible futures and even the logo of like the ellipsis, you know, or the, yeah. the, the, the M dash, oh, the M -dash that yeah. long dash is about interruption. We all have things that interrupt our lives. And then the M dash is kind of like how you write your own ending, like what comes next. Yeah. Um, I just really believe in the not yetness of all people. Like, you know, you may not be a cook today, but you're just not yet a cook, right? right? Like as long as you have life to live and the gift of life to live, then you have the capacity to transform yourself, to, to get to know yourself in a new way, to build a new set of skills, to like contribute to the world in a way that you care about that you haven't been able to yet. <sighs> and so I just think like LeVar Burton was somebody who made everyone who watched him believe that like they could be a reader. Yeah. And that there was something in reading for them that it was like a birthright and that it was a that it was an avenue 
to pursue that was like worth pursuing because it would both bring knowledge and bring joy and fulfillment. Yeah. And I just think like, if that's your ministry in the world, like what a gift. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Like, don't we all want to be LeVar Burham when we grow I up? Do. Like, that's, I love LeVar. I know. <laughs> I love LeVar. I'm going to ask you a tough question. Are you ready? Fight I'm is, not going to ask the tough girl one. The I'm group. not. As so, no, it's not super terrible. I okay. like a good story. And oh, I think oh, I if thought you were going to ask her favorite book. I'm not going to do it. I told you I wouldn't. <laughs> all right, all right. I love a good story. And I think the most prolific childhood story that really changed my view on life was The Little Prince. And I have a version of it with pop-up feature so that I can read it to my kids. And we, we've made it like a nightly, oh, we're going to leave a cliffhanger at chapter two. So if you could pick a book that you've seen recently or that you've had in the past or something that you think could be transformative to someone, especially like youth or a kid or even revisiting it as an adult, would you pick one or two or a couple? Which ones would you think are the most joy and inspiring ones that you've come across? Tough question. I said I'd I was about to say, girl. But I didn't say yep. one this time. I said yeah. a few or a yep, couple. Yep. Or I took feedback. <laughs> Real hard. Um, I'm like, Alicia? <laughs> Both of you. I, how can I kick this one to my more capable friend? No, um, I love so many books. I think it's hard. I think it's hard to pick favorites in some ways because in my role as a teacher and also in my role at the bookstore, like, my, my quote, favorite books just change because there's nothing like connecting a person to the book that they need. Yeah. That makes sense. Like, yeah, of course. And there's such like a feeling of joy and love when you're able to do that for someone. And of course, it's never the same book for, for different people. One of the kids books that I love, and I'll mention it also because I think it's not like a super well-known book, is When We Love Someone, We Sing to Them by Ernesto Javier Martinez. Uh, mm. It's a bilingual children's book. It's a picture book. And it's beautiful to look at. It's illustrated by Maya Cristina Gonzalez, who was a longtime collaborator with a beloved poet. She was an illustrator for many years of books for children. And she, when, when, the, when this beloved poet passed away, she started her own publishing company company called Reflection Press. And this is one of the books that they put out. Um, it's the story of a young boy who has seen his father serenade his mother. And that's why the book is called When We When We Love Someone, We Sing to Them. And he goes to his father and he asks his father to help him serenade another little boy. And it follows them having this interaction together around the like culturally significant practice of serenading, which is also like kind of related to like a pretty heteronormative <laughs> um, expectation around what relationships look like. And it's like how this child and their father who deeply love each other, like navigate this terrain together. And then there's this beautiful like back matter to the book by Ernesto about, um, about what it was like to grow up queer and um, in his Latino community and like, and what it meant to him to like reclaim the practice of serenading actually as like his cultural inheritance and to be able to feel like he, it was something that was fully there for him to, to be a part of and to practice in his own life. And I just think it's such a beautiful example of sort of like, is a book like, first of all, that, 
you know, you could say like, oh, where in the store does it go? It could go in a whole bunch of different sections because it's about a lot of different things. And yeah. I think it's a great example about, you know, none of us are ever one thing. Um, I think it's a great book for talking about intersectionality and culture and family and ancestry and also just liberation and what it looks like to um, have uh, healing interactions with loved ones. Most of us Many of us don't get those kinds of healing interactions with our like kin by blood, and we find them other places. But I think it's a beautiful example of what it can look like to show up for someone when they come to you telling you what they need and where your initial response is a little bit like, hmm, I don't know what to do, or oh, this makes me uncomfortable, or oh, this is like <laughs> challenges the normative practices in our community, but like, prioritizing the humanity of that young person uh, or that other person. That's just a beautiful example of what uh, I think a children's book can do, but like also what a children's book can do, not just for children. Yeah. I love that. Beautifully said, Lauren, beautifully said, and it is a beautiful book. And if I may, please, I'd like to answer this question as well, Ooh, because- Kicking it to you anyway. Book, well, I, I just purchased a book, a copy for myself and one for a very dear friend from Possible Futures. And it has become, whew, Quite a quite a read. I haven't gotten through it entirely, but I'm reading the three mothers mm-hmm. that I purchased oh. from Pasco Futures, mm-hmm. and it is how the mothers of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin wow. shaped a nation. Mm-hmm. And it has. I mean, we talked about motherhood briefly before we jumped on this right. call, yeah. and about how woof I am it's my head <laughs> as a mother. <laughs> but you know, this dynamic blend of biography and manifesto centers huh. on these three mothers and how you know they really taught their sons, you know, resistance and a fundamental belief in the worth of black people. Right. Even when the beliefs were woof, yeah. flying awry in America, mm. you know, during that time. And it's just it represents a piece of history left untold and the celebration of black motherhood long overdue. And as a black mother, I am uh, I'm trying my best, you know, to succeed in a way that inspires not only my daughter, but others and my mother you know, who didn't have the resources to do all that she wanted to do in life, but now see her children doing as, as much and as best as they can. I that book that. has been very enlightening, very uplifting. And so I brought it up because I love what, you know, Lauren um, stated about, you know, the book she just mentioned and just all that it does for, for children. But I want her also to know the books and all that many of them do for adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. No, it's such a such a beautiful book and so beautifully described. So thanks, Alicia. I think there's so much to curated spaces where I mean, there's so many books out there. There's so much information on the internet. Mm, there's yeah. many different places to buy plants, but it's very different when you walk into a space that has been constructed with community in mind. Yeah. That is you're not sifting through a whole bunch of garbage. Like yeah. you're 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 there amongst gems, you know. Yeah. I love that everybody has a story with books, but do you guys have your own stories with community engagement? Um, Because that's part of what both of you are curating um, and succeeding at. Um, And can you remember 
a widely used community space, like maybe when you were in college or something that a place that meant a lot to you? Is that something that maybe you model your spaces off of or the absence of that is what you model your space also? Space That's a good question. Yeah, so good. Let's hear it. So I grew up, um, the community center was at the center of my my childhood. You know, I mentioned how my mom was a single mother. She worked, you know, two jobs and then, you know, took on her hobby, which was doing hair. So her week was consumed and her weekends were consumed to doing all her friends hair. <laughs> so while I got to, you know, see and be with my mom, she was gone a lot of the time. And so the community center was where me and my brother were. If it wasn't at my grandma's house, it was at the community center. And thank God for the community centers that were planted in our, our neighborhoods. It was very important. You know, so community members made sure that they existed, that they thrived. And so that's where I learned to, you know, play basketball. That's where I learned to form friendships. That's where I learned to read. I mean, I learned to read at home, but you, you know, you know yeah. what I'm trying to say. Like, that's where I learned to en- yeah. En- enjoy, yeah, enjoy more books. Um, that's where I learned to talk about what I was reading and communicate with my peers. Um, I learned a lot in community centers um, where I grew up in Boston. And again, I'm just, I'm so grateful for, you know, the leaders um, in those spaces. I still speak to some of them. Some of them have passed on because they were obviously much older then, um, but their relationships that I'll never, never forget. Um, And so forgive me, I'm getting a little emotional because Bloom is very much inspired by my connection and my experiences in my childhood at community centers and having that love and that support and being seen by these individuals and being cared for and nurtured by these individuals when my mother couldn't be around. Oh, my dad, you know, my dad was, is, is, was, is in my life, but again, you know, they, they were separated. Um, So anywho, you know, being seen, loved and nurtured and, 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 and taught by individuals in my community in the community centers um, truly helped shape, shape my life and shape, this this business, you know, when I was thinking about starting Bloom, having had to pivot from my career in fashion due to the mm-hmm. pandemic, I thought about community center. And so if you all read some of the, you know, the, the written pieces on Bloom and when it first started, I was saying, you know, Bloom was a community center reimagined. And it is. It is a community center reimagined. It just has a, a, you know, a commerce component so that we're creating opportunities for members of the community to create and to sell their products mm-hmm. in my space, circulating dollars back into the community. Mm-hmm. That is so important. It is. Same question to Lauren. I love it. I, I just feel like. I just want to say what what she said. <laughs> you can say same. <laughs> I think so much of it, like for me, I was a library kid growing up. It yeah. won't surprise people just if they know me and my relationship to to books. And, and also, I think like I'm kind of like an extroverted introvert, actually. I think a lot of times people see me like hosting events and they're like, oh, you must like love this. And I do love it, but I also de- it depletes me in a for certain sure. way. Yes. I think that I don't know there's always like recognizable to people. And so I always loved like peaceful, quiet, the peaceful, quiet, contemplative space of a library. I grew up as a child going to church, but church really didn't feel like a spiritual home for me at all for a whole host of reasons because of the church that I was going to and what it believed about certain people. 
And so the library felt like this much freer and more open space. And I think the things that, you know, Alicia was saying about being nourished and being like kind of being seen, I think is really important to have places where people are known. And I think a lot of my idea for like starting a book space was like, I mean, like Alicia was saying, it's really more about like a community center, but also a community center that like is is also drawing on things that I think that I think are like my wheelhouse. So I, w- I taught reading to young children for many years and I taught teachers how to teach reading. And I was, and still am kind of like devastated by the divestment in our public libraries and yeah. in our public school libraries. So yeah. like when I was first starting the book space, uh, it was not that long after New Haven had made the decision to not have like full-time librarians in every one of its elementary schools. Oh, and wow. I, I think yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because of budgetary stuff. And so, you know, there are some schools that like share a librarian um, and it's not as bad in New Haven as it is in some other places. But we know that there are school libraries where the door is locked because nobody's in there to shepherd the space or because those people are called away to cover classes or to fix the laptop cart or to do these other things. And I just, I just really, really believe that the kind of space that a library provides and the kind of contact that a librarian can provide is really crucial. It's kind of open-ended, like you bring your whole self to the library and there are people there without judgment who know you, who greet you, who welcome you, whoever you are, and who you can ask questions of that are wide ranging and get support in pursuing answers to those questions. And I think if I've been like felt crestfallen about anything in our schools, and I think it's so ironic, people are so worried about like reading scores and stuff. And I'm like, well, do we have, right? <laughs> do, we have do we have quality staff, fully funded school libraries open 365 days a year? Like if right. I, one of my main things is like, why isn't the school library at each one of our elementary schools, why isn't it open in the summer? Sure. Yeah. Just for people to go in and borrow books. It doesn't make any sense. Especially when they have summer reading. Lists. Right. They have their summer requirements. <laughs> right. Like, and so I just feel like we can afford these things, but yeah. we like, but societally we choose not to. And I do think people will say like, oh, kids don't want to read. And I'm just like, that is so not true. It's not I mean, true. When the store was opening, people would walk by, miss, miss, when's it going to be open? Miss, when the book's going to hear? Miss, miss, when's it going to be open? Kids come in all the time after school, on the weekends, just to sit and be in the space. I think that like providing that kind of library-like space for people is really, is really, really crucial. And I, I also want to say, I think the New Haven Free Public Library is an absolute jewel of the city. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a comment on that, but it's just a reality that like our libraries aren't open on Sundays yeah. and they're not, you know, they can't, they're not always easy for people to get to. And I think everyone should have in their neighborhood a place that they can walk to where they can access books mm-hmm. and be in community and have it cost nothing. Yeah. It's great that you bring up education. Right. Because how do you both of you, how do you stay connected to education or bring what you've learned in education spaces, be it um, high school, college, any educational space? What are your educational journeys and how did those journeys contribute to the way that you've curated, created and show up in these spaces that you both have? Um, I offer uh, an apprenticeship program that allows for high school students to come in and work, particularly in the flower shop at Bloom. Nice. 
So that's how I share space with the younger individuals in my community. As far as connecting with higher education, I offer space to the local universities and colleges for them to host gatherings and events at Bloom. Mm -hmm. And those are always so special and they're always so different. It could be a very studious gathering or it could be a fun, you know, make your own bouquet type of gathering. So that's been awesome. But yeah, I offer space. I offer space to the university communities and always looking for new ways, new and innovative ways to stay connected, to increase intrigue by the younger the younger groups. Because what I am finding at Bloom is people think it's it's a store for older folk. <laughs> and it is. And it is. I mean, there's something for everyone. But I will say, I'll be very transparent. When I first opened, I had a hard time pulling in, not pulling in, but bringing in, encouraging younger folk to come into the space because I certainly have products and services for them as well. So it's been it's been an exciting journey to make relationships with universities and, and colleges and now be in a position where we are hosting space for them. Nice. And we should say we're also, you know, a mile down the road from both of you. And universities are not necessarily always good neighbors to the communities that are around them. It's funny because I also was going to say that I think like Alicia, I think I'm like super grateful for my school and university partnerships. And like I love having young people do their like community service hours in the store and Knowing Alicia, I know, I know this, I think this is a statement I could say we both agree with. It's like education is also not just those institutions. Like there's the school of life. <laughs> right. You know, and that like people in our neighborhoods have these incredible sort of caches of knowledge from lives like well lived. Um, and a lot of them have this critical knowledge to pass on from generation to generation. And it's not what schools are teaching and it's not what universities value, quite frankly. And it's also equally important, I think, to both of us, just like knowing the events and things that Alicia supports that like that we uplift the people in our neighborhoods who know really important things about (laughs) about all kinds of stuff, whether that's like quilting or just community dynamics or supporting people when they come back after incarceration, whatever the things are that are not necessarily, they might be topics that get touched on formally in in institutions of higher education, but we also know that it's like people, people in community who are doing the work and living lives that like have a lot to share. And so just offering open space for people to come together and even something like there's a knitting group that happens every like other week at the at the bookstore on on Saturdays and it's like a hodgepodge of folks and you know what they end up talking about really kind of depends on who's there and it's usually like kind of an intergenerational multiracial mix of people small sometimes bigger other times but i also think there's a lot of really important learning teaching and learning that happens in those kinds of gatherings that is just as important in a lot of ways as what happens in classrooms, formal classrooms. Do you see students coming into either of your spaces to utilize it in whatever way possible, but like maybe they're holding their uh, meeting events there for some student org or they're coming in to study or just coming in to get books? Do you see any of the students since we're so close and and we're in New Haven and there's so many schools around us? Um, so do you see that at all? Like, uh, oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For For sure. And I love how Lauren and I, you know, kind of brought some back and forth to each of our spaces. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. I really do. And it's and it's 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 awesome because and I'll speak for myself from what I see, they'll come to Bloom, grab a snack in a cafe, you know, do a little work and then bounce down to possible futures and wrap up. And I, love it. I love it. Or vice versa, you know? I I do. I see it. It's also like the kids are the kids are hilarious. I mean, they come in and they're like, Hey, you know, Miss Lo- Lauren, uh, can I leave this here for Trey Sean? And I'm like, what is it? (laughs) No, it's this backpack from like whatever. He left it at the such and such. And then like, you know, 45 minutes later, he'll like Treshawn will come in and pick up his backpack. (laughs) So I also think there are also, you know, there were some like, you know, the folks who were like stealing cars, the the Kias and the Hyundai's. There were some of those that got like lifted from the blocks around the bookstore and, um, you know, they're on TikTok and stuff. The kids all know way more about this th- than I do, mm-hmm. like, because I'm not on TikTok. Yeah. But, you know, it's like uh, there will be think- times when things are happening outside and like a wave of young people will just like run in and pile onto the sofa. Mm-hmm. And I totally love that. I'm like, oh, this is like, it's like, this is exactly space. what's yeah, you're happening. Safe. Mm-hmm. Like something is happening outside and the kids don't want to be there mm-hmm. or they know they shouldn't be there mm-hmm. or they know that like, in the way of like the old neighborhood dynamics, like the aunties would, <laughs> the auntie voice is like coming at you, like you should not be here, go find yourself somewhere else, you know? And that, that they come into the store for that, into the book space for that kind of like, that it's a little bit of a safe haven and that they know they can like come in even though they got no money to spend and no real reason to be there except for the fact that they're neighbors and that's reason enough. I mean, I don't think we can overstate the contribution that both of you and your spaces are to the community and and will continue to be the impact. impact. And you're only really, I mean, listeners are really only getting even a taste of this. Obviously, if you're in or around New Haven, you must you must go to Possible Futures and Bloom. I'm so excited to. I literally drove around And we should meet up and bring our kids to both. We totally should. Yes, let's do it. But. As you know, before we close and we got to let these two go to open their businesses. Um, (laughs) But I wonder if there's anything that you're up to in the future, any like hopes, dreams, things that you want to share. Hard question, Casey. I want to do so much more for communities, you know, here and beyond. I really do. I want to do so much more. And so... To sum it up, <laughs> I will say I will say this and I will touch on Bloom as one of the dreams that I'm still dreaming through. I would love to see more establishments like Bloom in other communities around the world. Yeah. I would love to and I'm still kind of figuring this out because, of course, my business mentor um, and banker and accountant is like, you need to come up with a blueprint and charge for it. Mm. <laughs> and in my heart, in my heart, I would prefer to share this quote unquote blueprint with other individuals and communities around the world so that they can create their own version of a bloom in neighborhoods that truly, truly need it. And watching that, seeing these spaces grow from what I've created here in New Haven, 
will be the biggest and best dream ever for, for me. Yeah, I would just say, I mean, similarly, like one of the things I love about Alicia is like Alicia, like has such an amazing work ethic, yeah, but, but there's not, it's, there's not like, um, like we only compete with ourselves. Like there's no, com- like there's no sense of um, wanting to ever be like the one, you know, the idea is that like you do something of value. You want other people to be able to do things of value. And you want, if you believe that it's a value, you want every young person, every neighborhood, every community to have that thing of value because everyone is deserving of it. And so I think in a similar way, like I am excited to help other places and people sort of establish book spaces. It's not an easy thing to do financially. The margin is really hard. The cost of real estate is like tremendously difficult to yes. navigate. Yeah. Um, and I think like working together is always an asset. And then just on a smaller scale, I'm really excited. We recently had a jazz after after hours event. Yeah. Book, book space after dark was what we called it. And um nice. and there's a wonderful like local comic, uh Sean Murray, who I love, whom we've been talking for a long time about having a comedy night. And so just doing some more partnership things that are about the arts more broadly and like letting the space be a place where more folks get a chance to shine. And then just continuing to work with people around this idea of like book deserts. They're really there's really no good reason we should have spaces in our city or in any other part of the state, right? Where young folks don't, families, adults don't have access to books. Uh, I think it's like a problem we could solve. And there are a lot of really creative potential ways to like begin solving it. And so I'm excited for the, for possible futures to be in the service of that bigger goal, however it can be. Yeah, girl. Lauren, Alicia, thank you both so much. This, this has, I'm going to just say it. This hug. has been my I favorite episode, I think. And I'm talking That's about hard. 80 episodes. So. That's hard. But this was like the moral hug and rebirth and believing in the universe that I needed today. Because, wow. <laughs> That's how I feel. Thank you. I appreciate uh, y'all. So grateful for this opportunity to speak candidly and with love and yes. love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also thank you for putting me on with Alicia because like <laughs> we all have the same business hours. So my, my, friend, my, friend and I, my friend and I have been trying to sit down for a meeting, you know, a meeting of the minds yeah. for like six months. And it's oh, really yeah. hard, but I just feel like every time I'm in a, in a room virtual or otherwise with Alicia, I feel like I am lifted yes. and I'm and like my my best and my best self is more and more possible. So I'm grateful to Alicia for that energy and for all of you to giving me access to it this morning. Okay, we all need it. We this did. was beautiful for real. Uh, thank you both so much. We'll see you in your spaces. Yes. Yeah. The door is open. All right. Bye.